Episode number 154 of the Speech Science Podcast was brought to you by Presence Learning. Michelle, the hardest part about doing teletherapy is doing teletherapy. You can't use Google Chat. You can't use Zoom. Exactly. And if you are considering a career in teletherapy, you need a teletherapy platform that's specifically built to deliver therapy and assessments remotely. Therapy Essentials, which includes the Presence Learning Therapy platform, is so much more than your average video conferencing tool. It was designed by clinicians for clinicians specifically to deliver therapy and assessments online. If you head over to our website, you can sign up for a opportunity to win one year of Therapy Essentials. The Presence Learning Platform features a content library full of games and activities, sortable by age and interest to personalize your therapy and keep your clients engaged. Michelle, that is the part I always struggle with is online engagement with my students. Keeping them engaged and keeping them interested and saving you time because you don't have to create it. It's already there. Plus speech language assessments from top publishers. And for more information and to start your free trial, for more information and to start your free trial, visit presencelearning.com and click on our platform. The views and opinions expressed during this show do not necessarily reflect like the, the policy, policy or position of any affiliated workplace or employer. The views and opinions of the show do not constitute recommendations for therapy. Please, Please contact, contact a licensed SLP for individual consult on your situation. Please listen carefully. What is communication? An essential behavior of life. We have the both blessing and responsibility of trying to foster another. It's transmitting a thought from one person to another. It's the strongest way for two people to convey information to each other. The back and forth between two people. Communication is a lifeline. It's just connection with other people. Connecting people in terms of ideas or thoughts or needs. Draws us out of ourselves, draws us into that relationship, you know, builds up our families. Without it, we'd be lost. Whatever it is that we do to express intent and achieve an impact. Communication is the ability to express your needs, wants, frustrations, and desires to anyone that you feel needs to have that information. Welcome to Speech Science, episode number 154. I'm Matt Hott, a speech and language pathologist working in the schools and also in home health care with dementia and stroke rehab. Joined, as always, by Michelle Wintering, a pediatric expert in the state of Texas. Hi, Matt. Hi, Michelle. And then not joining us because it is his birthday, Michael McLeod, the executive functioning expert uh, out in Philadelphia. And we are excited to introduce and announce our two new co-hosts. So the first one is a uh, someone who is a friend of the show who has been on multiple times. It is the PTSD, PTSD SLP. Try to say that five times fast. Rachel Arshambal down in Florida. Hello, Rachel. Hi, I'm so excited to be one of the new co-hosts. And you guys were talking about it on air. The estrogen to testosterone ratio now <laughs> is just slightly out of balance. And this is a perfect time to bring in Marie Severson. I had to remember how to say that because of Tom Severs. Marie is a adult and medical SLP up in Wisconsin. Hello, Marie. Hey, Matt, I'm happy to tip the scales in the female direction. This is the first time in the show's history, I believe, that there are five hosts of the show, and now we can say three-fifths or 60% are female, which is almost to the national ratio of male-to-female SLPs uh, in general, right? What they is only that need ratio? Like 97 to 3. 
Okay, I was gonna say it's way, <laughs> it's way more, way Making more. Strides. Did you by any chance go into speech because you can't do math? So I went to school to be a math teacher, and in my very first semester, they made me go out and teach a little kid, like go into the classroom. And as I sat there, I looked at the kid and almost said out loud, "Why don't you understand this?" There are three bears in this pile and five bears in this pile. There are eight bears on your table. And at that moment, I realized I should not be a math teacher. So I went into radio and now I'm here in speech. So hmm, it and wasn't math related. then you went back to working with kids for... <laughs> yes, then I, but I don't teach them math. I teach them things I don't understand, like language. You're pretty good at it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, on today's episode, we're excited because we're going to talk about a new law that may be putting a camera in your therapy room. And what does that mean for you? Also, uh, there's a study looking at military kids who face delays in getting into special education. We check in with the informed SLP. We have our due process and the SS pod shout out. And of course we want to hear from you. So make sure you head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com, And you can email us from there, speech science podcast at gmail.com. Also, Michelle, there's the big giveaway from Presence Learning. Still happening until the end of the month, I believe, right? Yes. Okay. It is one year of Therapy Essentials, um, Presence Learning. They have expanded access to their platforms for teletherapy to individual therapists. So be sure to hop on and log in and sign up for that giveaway because that wraps up pretty soon, right, Matt? Yep. And I've also got it set up so that when you log onto the website, a big banner pops up, a pop-up ad, if you will. Uh, asking you to sign up for the giveaway. Uh, also, a good pop-up ad. You want to click on this one. A good pop-up ad. You, I almost just read the phone number that has not been set up in six months. That is where my brain is at on this one. So let's start off like we always do. We would ask Mike how it is in Philadelphia, but it's his birthday today. So happy birthday to Mike. We are recording this back on February 9th. So we will start off with one of our newbies. Marie, how has your week been? Anything fun, cool, and or exciting? Actually, I was going to say my week's been dragging a little bit. I need a day off to recharge. I feel you. I feel you on that. I need a little self-care time if I'm being honest. <laughs> That's okay. Sometimes our weeks drag. <laughs> yeah, for sure. This is the, I'm so upset because I haven't had a full week of work in like three weeks. And this is the first week that I'm going to have to be in school the entire week. And, Aww. you know, last week we had two snow days and now we have a full five days. So I understand the, the dragging part. Mm. Yeah. Rachel, how has your week been? My week has been pretty good. Um, I started a new book series and I found it on TikTok because I'm always on TikTok and I haven't been able to put it down. I've, I've listened to the audiobooks. I finished the first one that's supposed to be a 12 hour read in like six hours and then I'm on the second one. It's 24 hours. I'm, I'm almost done. I just keep going through them. It's a court of thorns and roses, which is fantasy. I keep saying to people, it's like Beauty and the Beast meets Twilight Breaking Dawn meets Lord of the Rings. And I love it. Okay. So you do uh, audiobooks. I do. Yeah. I yeah, do. I, I love them for when I was traveling in between patients a lot. That's where I started it because my drive to work originally was 35 minutes there and 35 minutes back. And um, while I do some speech podcasts as well, I really got into the audiobook kind of world and I 
play with different genres and everything but this is kind of the first entry into fantasy besides like twilight and everything and harry potter but i love it it's it's really addicting i love it what was the title again a court of thorns and roses by sarah haas and there's multiple books in the series that sounds like a fun recommendation rachel i already wrote it down look at that great in this moment i now realize what everyone else felt like when Michael and I would deep dive into like sports for a moment. And I'd be like, I have no idea what's going on, but I'm going to smile. (laughs) It's a book recommendation, Matt. I know, but she, you lost me when you said it was a mixture of beauty and the beast. Yeah. Right. You're a huge Disney fan. You're a huge Disney fan. Gaston is the hero of beauty and the beast. And I will die on that hill. I'm fine with that, but you are a huge Disney fan, so she couldn't have muted her out with hearing Beauty and the Beast. Also, anyway. I forgot I was in Disney this weekend. That just oh. I, I forgot about that. That's because you live in Florida, so it's like... It is. Eh. Um, so many Florida things, like you guys talking about snow days, I have no experience with that. I, I That seems like a, a nice day. I don't know. Marie, do you like even nice get snow day. days in Wisconsin, or is it just like a Wednesday? No, I remember it was negative 50 degrees in college one day and they made us come in. It, you, you go in no matter what, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, you, you would just chuckle here and I'm not a Texan, um, a native Texan, but living in Texas that, you know, we canceled school for two days last week. <laughs> so what did you do during your week of snow days there, Michelle? <laughs> Um, took care of my children whose whose school was canceled and closed. Um, it also had been closed the week before for half the week due to, well, for a week due to um, COVID going around with staff and stuff. But um, so I'm happy that they're going to be back to their regular schedule here shortly. Aww. So I, I feel like I'm dragging a little bit too. I mean, I love the time with them, but it can any any moms can can relate to that. Um, Quick note, do you guys listen to Overdrive, listen to your aud- auditory books? Wow, I'm struggling that too. Um, do you listen to your books on Overdrive or Audible? What do you use? So I used to use Audible and I found the Libby app, which- Which I is think- Overdrive. It's the updated Overdrive. Yes. I have not updated anything yet because I'm scared to lose this book, but I will update it. But I love it. I mean, I can get through a book in under two weeks. So it, I, you have two weeks to rent a book and then you can request it again, which is good if you need more time. Oh, it's free? Yeah. It's so- free. It is. People think they need a subscription to Audible. And I tell parents yes. this and patients this um, and other therapists who are commuting or running between patients, you need to just get your library card and download Libby, which is the, it's the same company as Overdrive, but um, it's a little more user-friendly platform, yeah. I think now. Libby, um, Libby's platform is, is not great like I had to sit with my mom and and show her like this is where you type in a book and this is where you find the book it is a little confusing um and I think it also depends on what the library carries because you don't need Mm -hmm. to go into the library and get a library card anymore you can register on your local library they give you a digital card and then you can just type that into Libby or whatever app they use and you have immediate access to books which is amazing it's one of the first things i do oh, when i move somewhere is we get a we get a new library card because i have to go show proof of where my new address is and get my new library card so we can check out books and do audio audiobooks too 
That's great. It's actually perfect because the last time I actually rented a library book, it just sat on my bedside table for three weeks staring at me um, and I didn't read a single page. So I'm going to check into the Libby app. It's great. I, the only audiobooks I can do are basically like full cast productions. Those are the ones I've been into. Oh, yes. With all so the they voices. Play like a, yes. Yeah, like a radio play versus just a straight up reading. Yes. It's like the Harry Potter recordings. If you oh, are seen. they really like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ooh, I want to start voices. that with my kids then. Yep. I haven't heard that because I thought it was like David Attenborough, whatever his name is, that does the original Harry Potter books. I saw some TED talk with him about how he couldn't say one word and J.K. Rowling would put it into the Harry Potter books just because she knew he couldn't say it or something. It's this funny. Imagine that J.K. Rowling doing things that looking back on it were completely inappropriate (laughs) and rude. Who would have thought? Exactly. Yes. Oddly not inclusive. Right. (laughs) Right. Anywho, my week, I took my boy's sled riding, which was super fun. Um, And then my five-year-old dropped the daddy, you don't love us because you work. And if you loved us, you would retire. So then I had to explain to him that because I love you is the reason I work. Oh, that's and my daughter an abstract started school. reasoning. Aww. I know, yes. right? Yeah. So then my daughter <laughs> started school at her hearing and speech uh, preschool. So yeah. she'll be going there for four days or four hours a day, five days a week. That's exciting. She started. Is it going well? First week? Uh, you... So yesterday was her first day there and she lasted okay. an hour before she okay. had to go home. And, and then today okay. she lasted all four hours. That's great. And my that's wife's a back right there. My That's sister, a four hundred percent increase. <laughs> my wife sent a picture of her crying that our therapist sent us, and oh. she's like, "Look how sad she looks." And I was like, "That's how she looks every time I hang out with her. Oh. <laughs> Whenever you're not in the room." And she's like, "Really?" And I was like, "Yeah, that's how she always looks to me." Oh, so that's she's the so picture cute, of her though. sad. I know this is Look a radio. Those cheeks. And then this is her happy. And a huge shout out to her therapist, which is Leslie. Uh, Shay involved, who we went to school with, Michelle. Oh, yeah. So I remember Leslie. She made it. So, and, oh, and Rachel, you're totally there, right so. on the narrator for Harry Potter. He does do the different voices, though, but I messed up. I'm, I'm mixing it up with another. <laughs> Which one were you thinking of, Michelle? I don't know. <laughs> I'm remembering it. I've, I've listened to too many audiobooks. I, I do like, I, listened to um, one of Malcolm Gladwell's recent books, not the, the one about the airplane that um that was done like uh podcast quality or or they had clips from the news articles that they were talking about so they had the actual audio files from whatever they were talking about which i really liked in book form because when i was reading it in book form i just had to read it myself but i really liked that they put the different audio clips into it and that was the first time i heard the splicing together of the book like that that i oh that's neat yeah really cool i can't think of the name of the book but i love malcolm gladwell very cool let's transition into our ss pod shout out there's no good transition for that but the ss pod transition or the ss pod transition the ss pod shout out is our opportunity or your opportunity to shed light on somebody doing something awesome in the field uh, related to communication speech therapy or disabilities and nba player michael kidd gilchrist uh we're going to give him the shout out because he gave a shout out to his uh, speech and language 
uh, pathologist. He says, I want to share my story and see my stutter as a gift that I have embraced because now I can help others, including those who are getting into the field of speech language pathology. So pretty cool. Uh, an NBA player giving um, a shout out to the person that got him to where he needs to be today. And it sounds and he like he a... founded. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. It, it sounds like he founded a um, nonprofit called Change and Impact Inc., which is a stuttering initiative to the goal is to improve access to healthcare and expand services for people who stutter. Awesome. And I also, he was speaking, he spoke um, to grad students, to SLP mm -hmm. grad students at UNC and um, UNCG. I'm sorry. So where is that? That's UNC. Okay. Um, just North Carolina? location. Yeah. University of North Carolina. Um, the, a specific campus, maybe? Greensboro. Greensboro campus. There we go. All right. University of North Carolina, Greensboro campus on February 1st. But what I thought was neat is that I, I loved that he is not just creating that organization, but reaching out to people who are entering the field, because I think that's when we all sort of build our foundation. Right. And if we could have more experiences, with people who aren't just, um, in the depths of doing therapy with us because we're learning so much in grad school, but actually meeting people who are on the, on the back end of doing therapy and are, have been successful. I think it can make a huge impact on how we view our jobs. Absolutely. And I think he was a speaker at the 2021 ASHA convention. I, oh. I know that that's where the student from UNC met him, but it reminds me of when I was a student and I went to ASHA, I met Tony Talmadge and he's the electrolarynx singer. Oh. And it was wonderful to get to meet him while I was a student because I hadn't met anyone else who had used an electrolarynx before. And, and you remember that forever. I feel like it, it's such a ingrained part of us when we're going through that training, that intensive couple years. Um, I, I remember anybody who came in and spoke to our classes. Exactly. I, I'm on the complete opposite spectrum, Michelle. I don't remember anybody that came into our classrooms. We didn't have that many, so. Okay, maybe that's <laughs> You're not missing too much. <laughs> on the So that is the SS Pod shout out, hashtag SS Pod shout out or email speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. On the flip side, if something is bugging you, if something is uh, not sitting right and you want to bring it to the court of public opinion, where the four or five of us can debate for you, that is the SS Pod due process. And Michelle, from home, from Kim in Athens this week, we get a question. Uh, basically, it says she's being asked to keep a 90% productivity rate, but she is struggling with how to juggle mental health and getting all her work done when she's working off the clock to get that 90% ratio done. My only experience with productivity rates is I used to PRN at a facility up in Dayton and they asked me to do 90% and I told them that I work in a school and I'm used to 60 to 75% productivity. And uh, if you wanna keep me employed, you'll be okay with that. And as I said, I was a former PRN at that place as I could not keep up with my 90% productivity. And I do not miss that one iota. I think the, the rough part is, and I haven't worked, I think Marie, you've probably of us worked the most in, in that kind of setting. Um, I've only done PRN in a sniff and, um, and clinicals in a sniff. And even as a, especially as a PRN, I struggled 
with the productivity. And I also struggled because I, I feel like it kind of sets up a perverse incentive to, to work off the clock, which we're technically not supposed to be doing because, but so many therapists end up doing that because it's the only way they will meet that number. And, um, and then the other part is I do think it also for somebody coming in as a PRN or somebody coming in new, it doesn't set up a good environment for you to help the the newbie coming in or help somebody else um, figure something out because now it's taking away from your productivity time at any given point, even if you're just asking for their help to find your way in the new documentation system that you're learning. Mm, absolutely. And the unfortunate part is that this is really more of the um, more of the rule than the exception. And that is what the problem is. And, but I think that there is a movement to push back against these unrealistic productivity expectations, especially with, um, more awareness of things like moral injury, you know, reframing that as burnout is moral injury and manifesting itself in many different ways. And Rachel, I'm sure you can speak to that. It's very tied to PTSD and, you know, it's, not everybody's in a privileged position to be able to say no thank you to a job. And I think that that's where the challenge comes in. My advice might be to try to work within the system if you're able to potentially negotiate a lower productivity rate or um, try to figure out a way to still make it ethical. I think that's, I don't know if that's possible. I think 90% is a little bit out there in terms of possibilities of having that be still an ethical practice without compromising patient care or your own mental health. Um, but it's also possible that there's something that's negotiable there. So trying to work within the system, at least first, maybe try to make some changes and do some advocacy. Otherwise, I, I do think it's important for people to, if they can say no to these unrealistic um, expectations. And I, and it's hard, but that we, we really can't be working off the clock or they're going to say, Oh, you're able to meet it. The person before you was able to meet it. The mm -hmm. PTs and OTs are able to meet it, whatever, whoever it is. So maybe you're the only SLP there. If you're not get the other SLPs in your corner and, you know, have lunch with them and figure out what, what are they doing to meet that productivity? Um, but also if you're the only SLP find the other therapists, cause they are, I know it gets hard to compare sometimes because we're sister fields. We're not, we're not the same thing. You know, they can document while the person is doing 10 reps of whatever versus us having to be a lot more hands-on often um, with dysphagia and with brain injury and with, um, with aphasia. So um, that can be hard, but you need those people to back you up, especially if you're going to the director of rehab, if the director of rehab is going to help you, um, talk admin to, to see if you can make some changes with that. But I'm, I'm with you all that 90% is, is not going to work. And, and you can't mm -hmm. be working. You can't be documenting um, off the clock to meet that. Pop quiz in an eight hour day. If you're working at 90% productivity, how many hours are you spending with a, with patients and how many minutes are you getting per day for everything else? Like charting. Yeah. You were going to teach math. Yeah. I can't and 90 do it. Per, say what? I can't do it. I can't do the math. I give up. You would have I seven hours, seven hours and 12 minutes of face-to-face -face time, which leaves you 48 minutes for everything else. So that's according to this website called Barrett, Johnson, Martin, and Garrison. I believe it's a law firm and I'll link it down below, but they say under the Fair Labor Standards Act, 
uh, employers are not allowed to, or I'm sorry, these employers may have to pay their workers two times their employees lost wages for forcing them to work off the clock. So for example, therapists who make $40 per hour, but work off the clock 10 hours per week can make a damages claim for $62,000 for every year of employment. So I'm going to put that link in the show notes and do with it as you would like. And I'm sure that if you get that, this Barrett Johnson and Martin and Garrison would probably take half of it. And then we would love a slight donation for giving you the link. (laughs) And be mindful of the language there. I'm hearing if Mm -hmm. they force you to, but if you make that choice to work off the clock, I'm sure that that falls into a loophole of, Oh yeah. Good point. Right. Yeah. And that's the biggest thing. The only way they're going to know that this is not doable is we cannot work off the clock. That's part of the problem is they don't make it so you can refuse that. And I know in the nursing facility arena, they they have these uh, larger, not corporations, but organizations that buy up all the skilled nursing facilities. Mm -hmm. They're all run by the same facility. And they say, well, we are 90% across the board. And having a 90% productivity, if Matt was, if the math was correct, that math Matt was saying, it doesn't leave bathroom breaks. It leaves you, that's the documentation time. So if any patient is taking a little bit longer, that's cutting into the next patient, which is cutting into the next patient. You are not having individualized care for each of your patients. And that's where people say, it's unethical across the board. It doesn't leave you as the provider time for yourself. It doesn't leave individualized care. And to have a standard like that across the board, I did um, my full-time internship in grad school was in acute care. And we would get there in the morning. The director of rehab had a paper out for us with the exact number of credits or points that we needed. So it was like an evaluation was worth this much and the treatment was worth this much. And we had to hit all those clients and that was it. It wasn't like, oh, sorry, we missed it. You had to fit them in somehow. And that's where you get into this cycle of, well, we were able to do it this day, or this therapist was able to do it. So why aren't you able to? And then they rate you down. They, they dock pay. That is the problem is when it comes after your pay. And that's why more people don't speak up. I have been in a class action lawsuit, not for, for productivity, for, um, for this field. But when I was working as a server and I worked at a restaurant, um, we were being asked to come in almost an hour early before our shift, do uh, silverware duty and other stuff before we clocked in. And, you know, there were so many people in this company that did this. We did the class action lawsuit. um, And and I can't even remember. I, I think it was over the course of five or six years provide so much information. I had every pay stub saved. And I had to say at this time I checked in, they had to look into all that information. So it's just, I think for our SLPs that are going through this, I think that's a daunting task for them to be keeping track while I was here at this day. And it's just the precedent that's set forward from these companies that are saying you must meet this or else. Mm -hmm. And that's tough. And then I think it, it, it gets, depending the setting or there's places that kind of try to hide it 
a little bit, you know, they don't, like you said, they'll change it into units or they'll, so it's harder to do the math. It's not just a percentage of your time. It's, you have to get X number of units and certain things are worth more than others towards that. And that's great if you're the SLP who's only doing the um, MBS all day long. And so those are worth six units or whatever. So you're going to be skyrocketing through all the productivity. Um, but the person trying to like run around the hospital and get, this patient and this patient and this patient who might be with PT, who might be eating lunch, who might be wherever else isn't going to meet that. And I know that's, I'm thinking more hospital, like you said, acute care. Um, but I, it's, and it's hard because Marie, you hit on it too. This, this, not everybody can walk away from a job. And um, even if the demands it's putting on are not healthy for you or are not ethical. We do the point system in home healthcare. Did you, do you guys do that up in Wisconsin, Marie? We do. Let's see. I'm trying to remember now. My uh, productivity isn't um, a, a huge part of my home health job. They are very, they have a very well-balanced system, but there are, you are supposed to meet a certain number of units per day, but it's really manageable. So certain visits are worth certain amounts. And then you have a goal for the week and um, it's generally quite attainable. Yeah, I got let go from a home health company because I had to meet the requirements of five points a week. And they were paying me about $20 less a visit than my other companies that I was working for. And I also had to drive the farthest away for their patients. So I began turning down patients and they were like, um, and, and they never really let me go. They just deactivated my email account and told me to keep my phone <laughs> that they gave me until they needed me. So it just sits in my glove box uncharged. And I just use that as my, if I ever get stuck in a snowbank phone now. So oh. I think that's called ghosting, Matt. I, th yeah. I think they ghosted me. They you. just gave me kind a of, phone. Yeah. Like, <laughs> except for my why account do you have out. Phone? <laughs> I think because the phone is I had, a I a Michelle. <laughs> I know. Right. I had a, a PRN job and they only called me in once or twice. And this was over a like months and months. Right. And so then suddenly they called me and they were like, we need you to work basically full time this next week. And I was like, I can't do that. <laughs> I mean, I know that I, I would love to help you with that. And I can go at this time or this day, but I, I can't, I can't do that. And they're like, well, that's why we have you on PRN. <laughs> and I was like, no, what you want is just a sub that you can just call who comes in. That's, that's not PRN. <laughs> <laughs> no. So, and if, and if you need a scheduled PRN more or less then you're going to have to guarantee, you know, X number of hours a month or something, if that's, exactly. if that's what you really need. So I, I think they needed to relook at, um, I ended up stepping away from that, but, um, one of, you know, you move around and you pick up PRN jobs and a lot of SLPs, we all do that, you know, our, our side gigs are extra hustles. So I think the exactly. hard part though, I'm sorry, Marie. Just agreeing with you, Michelle. I couldn't say it better. I think the hard part is, is that the answer to a lot of these questions in the due processes that we get is find a better job. And sometimes you're not able to do that. And I mean, I hate mm -hmm. to say that that is the, the end all be all, but until we get a national union that can kind of stand up for every SLP across the country, you know, money talks. And the only way to really do it is the, to kind of walk away and that's not a viable answer either, but I don't know. Well, and you get, and um, 
you know, I, you hear the patient abandonment term thrown around, but it, we, we are also, we're in this field to help people and it is a service field in, in a big capacity. And I think that makes leaving any job at any point, even one that you prep them and give them all the time in the world to find someone to replace you and have time to transition to a new therapist. Um, so in the Orlando, at, at the Orlando ASHA convention, I was talking to an unnamed ASHA rep and they were saying that if you give your company the minimum of two to four weeks to leave, it is not patient abandonment. Oh, I, I researched this in okay. depth, Matt. Did for you? you okay. Like I okay. could even find it on our code of ethics page because again, another job that I, I left and I, I left for, I, I won't give more details to that because I've lived enough places. Hopefully no one will know. Um, but a, a job I left because there was very clearly things going on that um, my license and myself did not want to be a part of. Right. And I was there for a very short time. Now, that being said, was uh, this during your Ontario stay? My what? Your stay in Ontario? Yes, of course. Yes, okay. <laughs> we'll go with that. Um, but that being said, I, I was threatened with this idea of patient abandonment. And, um, and I did my research and I called the, what is the phone number from ASHA? I spoke to a person at ASHA who can kind of help you answer code of ethics questions, right? Um, and it is purposely vague in our code of ethics. And it says, I, I can't quote it exactly, but the main point is that you will plan for continued care. You will plan for continued care. It does not give a timeline because they don't want to lock us therapists into you absolutely, no matter what, have to give two weeks notice. That's, that's not it. As long as you plan for the care of your patients and put in good faith effort, you are, you are following ethics. And I think it's fair to say, hey, you signed a contract and there's a policy here, but I'm going to call that what it is. It's sometimes a manipulation tactic to take advantage of people in the field that we're in. And I think that physical therapists and occupational therapists are also going through some of the same things. I'm a bit of a Reddit lurker. So I agree with what Matt was saying earlier that it is going to take us all banding together and standing up against some of this because it's a problem. Absolutely. It's a tough position to put us all in. Um, and uh, again, how Michelle was saying that privileged view of not the patient abandonment part, but, but just saying, oh, find another job. What about the people that I was servicing at this last one? Do they not deserve therapy because I'm not getting paid enough? Like it's, it's all these issues bouncing off each other that are contributing. We also have this cri a critical shortage area again, because of all these issues. I was, I was seeing a thing on, it wasn't on Facebook or maybe it was Reddit or maybe it was Twitter. I don't remember, but it was saying that we don't have a shortage of SLPs. We have a shortage of well-paid positions. And if you fix the pay or in this scenario, we fix the productivity rates, we don't have a shortage. I mean, I left a school district that I had 90 kids in to go to something where my caseload right now is 45. You know what I had three hours to do today at work? I had three hours to write an ETR, an IEP, 
and begin an evaluation on a student. Three hours on a Wednesday in the middle of the school week. I don't, I don't even Planned. know what that's like. I don't Planned, know what that's not like. accident. So. That sounds like a dream. It's taken 10 years, baby. And it yeah. is the dream. Yep. <laughs> there the are SS jobs like that. And when you, when you come from a job where you have no time and your time isn't your own ever, and you, you, it's almost like getting spoiled. It's almost like you have to recover. And, and it, there's probably, I mean, I'm speaking from personal experience. There's a little bit of guilt associated there. Like if my time isn't accounted for constantly, am I doing something bad? Am I not being a good employee? Will I get in trouble? And it takes a long time for that to go away. I had a job where we had a thumbprint in and out of the clock every day. That and was your when, clock in? Yeah. And when I went to a job where I literally the job afterwards, I was talking to the, the, my boss and I was like, so where do I check in so that you know I'm at work? And she was like, are you not responsible enough to come to work on time? And I was like, no, my last job, if I got to work early, I had to stop work to go thumbprint in. And then I had a thumbprint out at the end of the day to then go back to work. And she's like, okay, well, you're an adult and we trust you. So. That's so nice of them to do. Trust oh. and autonomy. I mean, and that's part of why I went into speech was wanting to have autonomy and liking the idea of, of that and not every setting or every job or every boss is like that. Oh, couldn't unmute myself. The SS pod due process is your opportunity to write in and bring a uh, opinion to the court of appeals, which is the four or five of us. And just like Kim and Athens did uh, about due process, we want to hear from you. So make sure you go to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com. Email us speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. All right. So our first story is coming out of the military times. And they say, on average, parents will wait 23 months between the time their child's issue is first identified and the time their child first receives special education. They said that, however, after a move, 39% uh, of uh, parents surveyed said they went without special education for an average of 5.75 months. What is happening here? But shell, I mean, I'm not trying to put I, you in the spotlight. No, I, I have so much to, family, well, I have so much to say about this because I have this family. conversation with a lot of patients and families that I work with, with friends of mine who call me because they know I'm an SLP and they're trying to get in somewhere to get services for their kid. Um, but I, I kind of want to hear your all thoughts, um, y'all's thoughts on this first, and then I'll sort of chime in because um, I, I, I'm a little more familiar with how referrals work in the military system. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. I didn't even, I didn't even consider the referral from the military system. I guess my, my processing was this makes total sense when you think about how often people move. And if it's from state to state, the process to get their child evaluated or get the ball moving is like that 60 day timeline, but it's not that 60 day timeline. It's, it actually ends up being a 120. Right. So it, it ends up just snowballing and snowballing. When is the next time they're moving? It makes complete sense to me that 
this is happening. And I forgot what Matt said about like parents wait. I don't know if it's a matter of parents waiting or is it just the system that's taking a long time or, you know, it's a factor of a bunch of things. I mean, the parents might have the evaluation in their hands or they might have a referral in their hands, but don't have all the information. Then they get moved, you know, right when things are happening and then they have to start the process over. And I can imagine that is extremely time consuming. It can be expensive if they're going private, but I, I, would love to hear like Michelle, your point of view of how that happens within the military with the referrals and everything, but other people. The, the wait was the, the time was including waiting for and getting the evaluation and then waiting for uh, eligibility determination and then waiting for the individual plan of services uh, to kick in. So that so was I'm, the, the quote unquote 23 month wait. So I know just from starting from start to finish of like, Hey, your kid has maybe a, a speech concern or a language concern from start to finish in one place that can take a long time in the school system, whatever age the kid is at. So when you add in the factor of possibly moving or different States that you have to take into account, I can imagine that this takes a long time. It's not an unexpected thing for me. This makes sense. Yeah. And it was so shocking to see that number 23 months, because although I don't work with children, I know that 23 months is a long time in terms of child development. I mean, what happens when you wait six to 23 months for children to get services? Yep. So, um, so you all understand a little bit the, how insurance works and, and I'm assuming this is all through insurance that people are getting services because that's what they're reporting. Um, TRICARE is the name of the provider for military insurance, and that's national across Army, Air Force, Navy. That's who it is. Now, that is subcontracted. That's just the title of the insurance. So that's subcontracted per region with TRICARE, for example. Um, and so there's an East region region and a West region. So when you just like moving as a civilian, if you move between states, you're going to have to potentially change insurance providers um, based on where you live. So we, for example, as a military family, just in the time I've done the podcast, which is about four years with Matt, that I have moved from just in that time from um, West Texas to Kentucky for two years, from Kentucky to Kansas for less than one year, from Kansas to Central Texas now, and that's just this summer. So that's in four years. Um, that is quick for some, but a lot of people will move every two to three years, um, sometimes shorter, sometimes longer. This depends on the job, depends on if if you're at a big base, you might be able, the soldier may be able to transfer across the base to a different job. When it's time to, instead of a big move, they just move jobs, which sometimes provides some stability. Um, but with that comes, you take a family with a child with special needs. And it, it's, I'm so glad that this article is even in the military times, because this is something that I have had dozens of conversations with people just since moving here. And I talked to, this is not shocking to me at all. When I read this, I'm like, well, yeah, that's actually low compared to some of the people I talked to um, who say, I get ready to move and my child needs services. So I need to get them in with a new primary care doctor at the new location that we moved. I have to re-get referrals from that doctor. Sometimes those get lost in the mail because they're mailed out or you have to find them on the online system. You have to take that referral, call the place they sent you to. If that place 
doesn't have a crazy long wait list, or maybe they don't even work with kids with apraxia. So now you have to get a different referral because they sent you to the wrong clinic. So that adds another month of wait time. And then you, um, okay, finally you get on a wait list at a clinic and they have a therapist who can work with your kid and you get in and now you're talking three, four months have gone by. And then um, maybe it's six months, eight months before you can even see the kid. And then you got to at least give a couple of weeks to build a rapport with the therapist. And then now you're up to a year and you're moving again. So you start the whole process all over again. Um, that all to say, it's just not shocking to me because I've talked to so many families that the normal wait time for them with a move, because you've got to take into account that they're not going to get services while they're physically moving. So they're going to stop services at least a couple of weeks before they move. And then they're going to have to physically move, physically find a new house. They might be living in a hotel for a month or two. Then they're going to have to move into a house and they're going to have to get into a new school district. Then they're going to have to get a new evaluation. Everything almost starts over every time you move with a kid with special needs. There are some situations where families are able to what they call stabilize and actually stay at the same location longer or for a little stability because of a diagnosis for a family member. Um, but that also takes work. And the parents that I mean, any special ed parents across the board, doesn't matter military, are just incredible people because they've learned they have to advocate and break down doors to get things for their kids. Um, but so many kids get lost or don't get the services that they might need um, in the military have these crazy gaps. It might be three months on the really good end. And they say an average of five something to wait. I've talked to people who it's easily nine, easily 12, sometimes 18. That's so my, just to wait to get new services after you had established services somewhere else. So I, I get all that from the private side and I'm not discounting that at all. Where the yeah. hell are the school districts? Like if we get a kid that moves in and even if a kid moves in with an out of state ETR moves in with an, a, a five-year-old IEP, they at least are placed in some version. It may not be the best, you know, I'm thinking from speech therapy side, it may not be the best speech therapy. I may be getting an IEP that's four years old and three States ago, but at mm -hmm. least I have a baseline of seeing the student and going, okay, we're working on, language acquisition, we're working on stuttering, we're working on Arctic, I can at least then throw that student into a group. It's not going to be good there. It may not be great therapy, but it's going to be something to get the ball rolling. Where the hell are the school districts in all of this? So did this clarify if they're talking, because they are talking- It talked about schools. both, I believe. It said, yeah. the first part talked about um, what you were talking about, Michelle. And then the second part talked about if schools are breaking with IDEA, right? IDEA, yeah. correct. They're yeah. required to hold that initial meeting within 30 days, but it, it can take, like you were saying, Michelle, a lot longer just to get that initial mm -hmm. and meeting. to get the evaluations and to actually mm -hmm. start plugging them into consistent therapy to where you're actually making progress. And I think this is the part that is so disheartening to me. And I'm just going to quote it from the article. The quote is the delay quote have become so normalized. They have been left largely unexamined. The report said parents may not even raise an objection because quote, it's just the way it is across all States. And that it, I've heard those exact words from families. It's just the way it is. We've tried, we've fought it. 
we, this is just what we have to do. I've talked to people whose kids have had 15 to 20 different therapists in like a five-year period when it comes to special needs services. I, I'm reading I, the, this is a gaping hole and mm-hmm. I just, I have, I feel like something needs to be done and I don't know completely where to start. <laughs> I, I, I keep coming back to, cause my only experience with any of this is from the school side. And uh, this is where I would put the charge out to any SLPs in the building. Like I get why we wait until we have a, a, a current ETR to see the kid. But there's also RTI processes that we could at least use as a stopgap. You can cover yourself through an RTI process and say, okay, I've heard that this kid has difficulties in the past with disfluency. So I'm going to push into their classroom. But then I guess maybe it goes back to what we talked about earlier, caseload, workload, productivity rates. There's that. But then also, what if they get put into a classroom that say kindergarten or something that the teacher is not really familiar with speech or language, just lets it go. Isn't really, you know, doing a referral or anything because they don't know what they're looking for. I think there's a lot of things that are happening there. I'm trying to think uh, in Florida, we have something called like child's find. And Mm -hmm. I I think that's like a government program across the board, but uh, that's where I'm not sure how the military and that insurance can affect like the government programs. Like if you were to come to Florida and say, oh, my child needs speech services, could you go through child find or does it have to be strictly through the military insurance? And, and I think that's also where you can get into a little bit more trouble of, do I do this unfamiliar referral process or do I go with what the military is saying like we have this insurance process how do we go through this I think it's another thing for them to try to have a um, a learning gap that they need to fill on their own it's it it becomes the responsibility of the parent and I think that's another reason why the the gap is so long is because the parents are have to take on all this uh, between the move and and it's just so much it's so much for them to have to understand too Michelle, I remember you being on air during some of your moves and it Mm -hmm. was just hectic listening to you talk about moving (laughs) from your, not like, where was it that you moved from like a, like a nice home into almost, it felt like a dorm because you were only going to be there for like three or seven months. And then you had to move across the country again yeah so well in kansas we um that's it we moved into one house on the base and then had to move out yes that's it um, after a month because of mold and termites and flooding and all of that so we had to move to another house across the base michelle what's the typical family dynamic for military families is there typically one spouse taking this on or are both spouses usually working just seems like a big burden on the parents um so I think like a lot of, if you're talking, are you talking moving or the special education piece? I'm thinking like, are both parents working as one person doing all the follow-up, all the calling, all the setting up for some of these things? Yeah, I think that I definitely, yes, because um, just like often in the civilian world, um, you know, more, and, and I think we, as 
therapists tend to default with kids often to talk to mom. That's statistically just who ends up often taking that load on um, when it comes to education and medical type stuff. Um, it's not always the case. There's some dads who are in that role too. Um, but with military, there's um, there's definitely a lot of families who, um, even if they were dual career, take my family, for example, I've had to have periods of not working because of short-term assignments or licensing or um, or that kind of stuff. So the military service member, whoever that is, um, has a limited time off, you know, to get a house set up and to move the family in. And then the spouse takes care of it, has to, it, it falls on, on the spouse because they're the ones who um, have to maintain more of a, a flexible schedule. That's what I was going to ask Michelle is yeah. like it, when you, when, uh, when you all moved, mm-hmm. how long did your uh, spouse have to help before he was expected to show up on base? Um, it depends on what leave you take. So, mm. so there's a certain amount of, of days that are allotted with any move and depending how far that move is, how many days you get for travel, how many days you get for household goods kind of thing. All of that is great if your household goods arrive on time, which often depending moving companies, especially in the last couple of years with COVID and, and lack of, um, of drivers for trucks and shipments. And we've, we've seen that just with a supply chain, right? Um, so there's been a lot of backlog on that. Um, for example, when we moved to Kentucky, um, we ended up living in a hotel unexpectedly for a month because our stuff was stuck in Texas before it got to us. So um, that being said, there is a, a matter of days that they're given, but that's only if the timeline works kind of perfectly, right? And then depending their job, if they're able to take a day or two, like when the household goods arrive, but oftentimes what happens is the family will accept if you've ever paid movers, right? Or had people there to unpack, you've kind of got to do the checklist of everything coming in. Um, often the soldiers aren't there for that. That sounds like a nightmare to be truthful. <laughs> it's, I know, but that, <laughs> take this line. That's just the way it is. Yeah. Like that's what, that's what people are used to. Unfortunately. Well, that's a depressing end of this yeah. discussion. Now, now there are, no, I mean, there are plenty of families who are, are dual military or dual career as well. Um, I've met, I've met families who are dual military, who, if they continue to be dual military into their career, like as a married couple, um, and if they have a family in particular, uh, that's where I see they'll hire a au pair when they move somewhere, you know, they have to have somebody who's available or they have a family member, um, close by a dual military couple who has kids has to have what they call a family care plan in case both of them, um, were pulled away. They have to have someone who, you know, on record can take their children for a given period of time. Well, I feel like we all need to take a little break from that. And uh, we will check in with the informed SLP. And when we come back on the flip side, what a bill uh, is being passed in certain states that might mean a camera is moving into your therapy room. You're listening to Speech Science. And now for our regular research review, brought to you by the Informed SLP. 
The Informed SLP releases a monthly newsletter that brings you plain language reviews of only the newest, most clinically applicable research, keeping you up to date on advances in the field and saving you tons of time. So let's get to it. What's at play during play? This is a review of the article, Culture at Play, a cross-cultural comparison of mother-child communication during toy play, published in Language Learning and Development. Follow the child's lead. Don't give so many directions. Ask fewer questions. Get down on their level. As SLPs working with young children, we are constantly saying these types of things to caregivers. But it's important to consider what cultural values and norms may underlie these strategies. Most of the child language and play research that our therapies are based off of has been done by white researchers with white middle-class families, and chances are high that you, as an SLP, fall into this demographic as well. This can end up pathologizing other valid ways of playing. Being aware of how cultural values may be at play can help us confront our implicit biases about the inherent value of certain types of play and move instead towards increasingly culturally responsive care. Roshana Vibata and Marion looked at differences in communication and play styles between Thai mothers and American mothers of preschool children. The mothers had similar levels of education and language abilities. They found that mothers used strategies that aligned with their country's cultural values and encouraged different aspects of their children's language development. American mothers tended to use more positive feedback and recasts and to follow their children's lead. This is in line with individualist values, which put a premium on an individual's expression and interests. Thai mothers used more labels, open-ended questions, testing of vocabulary, and reframes. These findings align with adult-centered parenting characteristics of collectivist cultures. Neither one of these approaches is better or worse. The differences illuminate the way that cultural values shape our social interactions, including play. Rather than trying to change parents' behavior so that their play looks a specific way, it's important that we work to understand parents' values behind their behaviors and provide support that allows parents to support their child's development within their value systems. There is a side note here that says, the study included no ethnic or cultural information about these specific families. We need to exercise caution in describing the cultural values of families in any country as a monolith. Thanks for listening to this review. If you're interested in more, come visit us at www.theinformedslp.com. Tell us how you put the research into practice, or find us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at The Informed SLP. Before we jump back into the show, Michelle, Therapy Essentials, which includes Presence Learning Therapy Platform, is so much more than your average video conferencing tool. It includes everything you need to do securely and effectively deliver speech and language therapy and assessments remotely. 
It includes a content library full of customizable games and activities so you can personalize your therapy sessions to keep your clients engaged, plus the ability to upload your own therapy content and material. So if you buy it or make it, you can put it online. A collaborative workspace with multiple camera views so you can see what you and your clients are both saying and doing and live in session chat support to keep you on track. The Presence Learning Platform has everything you need to confidently build your teletherapy career. To learn more and start your free trial today, go over to PresenceLearning.com. That is P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E-L-E-A-R-N-I-N-G.com. Then click on our platform at the top of the homepage. Welcome back to Speech Science, episode number 154. I'm Matt Hott, joined by Rachel Archambault. Hi. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Marie Severson. Hey there. Hello. And Michelle Wintering. Hi. Hello. Mike McLeod is out handling his birthday with his Happy birthday, Mike. tonight. Hey, so we got two new people onto the show. And there was a segment that we used to do as a group where I give you a random question from our conversation starter website, which is something I use sometimes with my therapy patients. So I'm going to give you guys the opportunity to answer a random question before we get jump back into the show. How's that sound? Okay. All sounds right. good. All right, yeah. Michelle, you know how this works. So give me a the number. Hot seat. Do I need to yeah. time this for you? Uh, no, we're just going to do one question. We're not going to okay. do a full hot seat. All right, <laughs> Michelle, give me a number zero through 351. Two. All right. Really? All the way to the top, Michelle? All right, Michelle, you have to answer this. Ooh, what social stigma does society need to get over? Social stigma. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. I, I feel like <laughs> I don't have a good answer for this right now. Social stigma. Um, do, I, Matt, I'm, can you? <laughs> <laughs> we have My lost is Michelle. Not like, is there something in society that people look down upon that we should just move past? Like, think. Like, I mean, I could think of a lot of things about motherhood right now. Okay. Yeah. That's a great one. I like it. Working moms, stay at home moms, whatever you choice to do as a mom, get over it. Let them do what works best for their family. Perfect answer. All right. So, so this is how this game works. Sometimes the question is absurd. Sometimes it goes into reality. And because Michelle broke the game, I'm going to now ask you guys three different questions. So Marie, give me a number zero through three. Zero through three. Okay. That's tough. Um, I'm going to go with two. All right. Give me a number zero through nine. Eight. Do you see where this is going? Another number zero through nine. Six. All right. So 286. Because Michelle answered like number two. Oh, (laughs) what horror story is closest related to your life? Oh my gosh. These are kind of intense. Oh my, honestly, I'm not a big horror person. I have a very low tolerance for scary stuff. Um, I'm with you on that. I don't, I don't, it it stays with me too long. I need to get it out of my system. Like if a horror story would be like, if somebody um, worked themselves to death, because I feel like 
that's something that if that happened to me, I think people would say, yeah, that checks out. So Cinderella. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, and we just learned something from you. You don't like horror stories. All right, Rachel, same three questions as number zero through three. Really, just pick a three-digit number. I'll just 139. Thank you. Like Michelle broke it, and now I had to treat you all like little children. 139. Oh, Rachel, what habit do you have now that you wish you started much earlier in life? Therapy. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Let's do yeah. that. One. I, I love it. Uh, I love it. Strategies, things like that. I didn't have the the skills for that before. So yeah, for sure, therapy and and coping strategies. I love it. And I'm going to pick 222, and it says if you could talk to animals and they would understand you, but you couldn't understand them, what would you do with that power? And I think I would create. You couldn't understand them. That's right, the key. but they could understand me. I could tell them to do anything. <laughs> I thought it I was Antonio from Encanto. I got excited. <laughs> yes. uh, I think I would set up like a, it would be the most awesome camping adventures for the Cub Scouts I work with. That's what it would be. If I could tell animals what to do, but you know, have no idea what they're telling me, that'd be the most fun. So it would be a surprise for you too, but you yeah, could be like, give instruction. <laughs> squirrels go find the most edible food for my cub scouts and put them in a pile you know stuff like that hey we're It'd currently like evicting squirrels from our attic right now see so that's fun <laughs> michelle <laughs> that would be my answer i would tell them to get out of my attic oh <laughs> uh, michelle what did you find about amazon <laughs> was it you oh, that found sorry this guys yeah i just happened across this today so um i think it's awesome because this is just something that is a need to know, especially if you work with anyone or yourself needs more time to communicate with your Alexa device, which is probably going to start talking in my corner over here by my room because I just said Alexa, but um, you can change. I didn't know you could change the settings on Alexa to allow for more time to give prompts and responses with the Alexa device. And then Marie, you said you found one for Google? Yes. Yeah, so Google has something called continued conversation, which is a feature that allows your device's microphone to briefly stay on after you ask your question. So you can ask a follow-up question, but they do not have an option where Alexa will listen to you for a little bit longer. Um, but they also have an option where you can adjust how sensitive the device is. Um, so if you say a command, but it's not quite as clear, you can turn that sensitivity down. I'm thinking people that have dysarthria or other speech problems. So a couple of nice accessibility features, but not the same as the Alexa. Hey, and also this. Alexa's getting pretty good at recognizing toddler speech in my mm -hmm. house. So that's pretty good. I have said this before, and I, and I say this not lightly of we are in such a renaissance of an opportunity for folks with disabilities to live almost as if there is no, I mean, not that they're ever going to not have a disability, but like from the OB, which is a device that can be activated by a switch for a patient with Parkinson's to feed themselves to Alexa, to, I have a patient that I was working with who their family set up an Alexa device in their home solely just so they could control the television not because they could not see the remote so it was really just like alexa turn on the discovery channel 
and it mm-hmm. didn't. You know, I I've mean, worked but these with... are the things that can so help someone's day to day be feel more normal when they have limitations they didn't used to have. And this is something that wasn't here 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Even five with many mm-hmm. things. I mean, this True. stuff is changing almost daily. <laughs> Speaking of technology, did you guys like that transition? A new bill in Maryland may be putting cameras in the special education classrooms uh they say to capture possible abuse which kind of lines up with a story out of ktla in los angeles about a video capturing a therapist striking a special needs uh child what do you guys think of this cameras in the classroom i know we had them in the clinic down at ohio university um what do you guys think cameras in the therapy room positive negative i mean I don't know where I kind of sit on this one. It's tough because if you put that abuse aspect on it, of course, we want to capture the abuse happening. However, we have this, this takes place in Maryland where this article came from, but in Florida, we do have somewhat of the same bill. Um, It is a student has an IEP which places them in a self-contained classroom, a parent can request the installation of video audio recording system to be installed. The recordings can be requested to be viewed if a qualifying incident is suspected to have occurred. So what we were told when this was going to be happening was it's not a live stream. It's not them being able to just come in at any time. Cause I know some preschools have, like you can just log in and see what they're doing at all times mm-hmm. or daycares. And right. Stuff. Yep. It's not like that. This is supposed to be, Oh, you know, I suspect my child did not have lunch today or, or something like that within the self-contained classroom. It, it's a specific room. They do have on the door to those classrooms, a note, a big laminated sign that says, uh, recording is going on in here. However, I understand the teachers and the paras and the other adults in the room having felt a loss of autonomy, feeling that they couldn't just check their phone or, you know, have their phone on them because, oh, that's going to be scrutinized that, oh, they're on Facebook or they're doing whatever. It's just more scrutiny on top of an already stressful job when, every moment of their day is going to be picked apart or they can just say, you know, I suspect this happening on this day when they don't suspect anything, they just want to check in and see. So I I think for many people, it feels like an overreach and I get that. I also understand that parents are going to want to see and make sure that their kids are safe because these problems keep happening when, when it is being recorded, we, we find that kids are being abused. I don't think that is, always happening you know like I don't think that this is happening in every single classroom across the world I think it's been important to capture this on camera or video audio whatever when it has been happening but I do understand the hesitation from the staff not wanting their autonomy to be taken from them oh sorry no I was gonna say my question to this and, and the reason that I'm on the fence on this is obviously Rachel you're right when we talk about the abuse side you know, my daughter is going into special education and I've already warned the IEP teams that are coming up, like I'm going to be that parent. And if something were to ever have happened to my child, I would end up in jail, especially if there was video proof. But as the therapist side, 
I often wonder because research shows us that the best way to learn AAC is through natural interaction, which means that with a middle school student, we may just be watching a YouTube video during therapy. We may be playing a card game. We may be playing Legos and using that device with a middle school student. And my concern would be as a therapist, a uninformed administrator or a parent who is concerned that their child is, you know, failing a math or science class. And then here comes the speech therapist to pull them down and look on camera. They played Wordle for 15 minutes. They're not seeing the problem solving and the executive functioning that I targeted. They're seeing that we played Wordle for 15 minutes. And then we had a classroom discussion on the word viral for 25 minutes. That has nothing to do with academics in in and of itself. That's where my concern would come in is these people, administrators and parents questioning what we do in therapy. Right. And And that's not abuse at all. Right. And I think also it is being given to the staff members as, oh, it's to cover your butt, which there are instances in which it will help defend the teacher of my kid came home and he said, you know, you did this and you did this. Then let's go to the instant replay and it's this and I, it will help in certain aspects, but there is that just surveillance feeling of it for many teachers that why does my classroom have to have it and these other classrooms don't? It's a feeling of inequity. And I don't think that is going to be solved for a lot of staff members. Tough call. When I think specifically about the article, it sounded like they were moving toward the surveillance being of video and not of audio. But one of the things that I thought about was, um, and especially in some of the states where you, the a parent or a staff member has to request the surveillance in order for it to be implemented, the parent would have to have an inkling that something was going on. And there's that's a challenge too that wouldn't necessarily solve the problem. Um, and with it just being video versus video and audio, you're also only going to catch you know, obvious instances of physical abuse, you might not be catching um, verbal abuse or emotional abuse going on. I think that generally healthcare is at least moving a little bit more toward um, transparency. We have the open notes where patients can read their notes right after you write it. So you have to be really careful that what you're writing reflects exactly what happened and what you intend. Um, And I think ultimately, I mean, if you, if you break it down really simply, it's like, the children are really important. We need to protect them at all costs and possibly some of the cause of these issues. Now, and again, I don't work in the schools. I can't speak to this, but it's, it's probably a systemic issue. You know, everybody, and again, everyone has their breaking point. This is well-studied people that are well-meaning. If you're put in a terrible position, something might happen. Not that it should, it absolutely shouldn't, but people are people. And if it's a systemic issue and people need more support or people need more resources, I think that also needs to be explored because it's a lot of money that would be going toward the surveillance. And I think maybe rethinking where some of that money goes towards other supports as well for staff helps not just put a bandaid on it or surveillance on it, but also maybe get at the problem a little bit too. For 800 classrooms, it would cost almost $2 million. And oh, I'm so sorry. I was just thinking $26 million. I'm sorry, $26 million. $26 million. Okay. 
the surveillance piece, um, and Rachel, you're living somewhere where it has been implemented, not where it's just a live stream, but where it can be accessed if needed or requested. Um, I, I'm thinking back to even when I was 12 and 13 and 14 years old and first ever started babysitting. And that was the first time really that you heard of people having like nanny cams, right. Or having cameras in their houses. And I even remember my dad and my mom saying to me like, Hey, Michelle, when you're baby, not that they thought I was going to do anything I shouldn't do, but just this reminder to say, Hey, like you should know that at any point you may very well be on a camera in someone else's house. And, um, now, I mean, that's everywhere. We see that with TikTok and cell phone footage and, and people videotaping things everywhere that, this is another camera and I'm, I'm, I'm torn. I'm on the fence with how I would feel if it was in the classroom that I'm spending the majority of my time in. Um, but I also do feel like we're being surveillanced so many places now that it doesn't feel that weird to me for this idea of, Hey, as a safety measure, we want to have an option to look back for either the kid or the teacher or the staff member to be able to validate what is being said or what could have happened. So I don't know. I'm going to go out on a different limb real quick, Michelle, and kind of exactly what you were saying is as a male SLP, I'm in a very different boat than the 97% of our female colleagues. And they're not there is a sense where, you know, I mean, I've been in sessions or, or training sessions where they're like, yeah, we should cover up the window to give our students privacy. And I'm like, nope, <laughs> I am keeping my window to my door wide open. Because mm-hmm. so would if you I, want a video? Because of I that? mean, I've thought about, mm-hmm. you know, doing not not videotaping my sessions, but like, that thought has crossed my mind of like, because when you're dealing with middle school and high school kids, a comment can be really misconstrued. And mm-hmm. we have seen high school kids say things about other teachers just because of whatever reasons. And when you talk about male SLPs who are already looked at in a different light because we are in a field of helping all of a sudden you put yourself in a very vulnerable position. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, you know? I remember if, if you all have worked in camps or childcare going through trainings as a high schooler and a college student working summer and part-time jobs where um, I, I, when I was a ninth grader, ninth and 10th grader, my first job, right. At a YMCA and being thrown off that, my gosh, like they're, they're telling me I, can't even take a kid to the bathroom, right? There have to be two staff members to take a child to the bathroom. And if there's only one to literally stand with your foot in the door Mm -hmm. so that there's never a closed door. I mean, with my male and, and a child and, and that's, and it was to protect the kids and the staff. So I, this is not new. We just have new technology to potentially use. I mean, with my male students, I have no problem locking arms with them and we'll walk down the hallway and we look like we're from the Wizard of Oz. And, you know, some of my students have pants that are a bit too big. And if they're the male students, I don't even think twice. And I just hike up their pants just like I would my kid, my, my own sons. But then for like female students, it's like, 
I've got the two finger light touch on the elbow just so that they don't run away. We are at, you know, because that exact reason I don't, you know, Mm -hmm. there's no video to say, Oh, there's Mr. Hot. He was doing everything correctly. It's it, you know, I mean, it's hard. I'm okay with it. Even though I just said, I would question if parents would wonder what we're doing in therapy, but I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think that if we have had if the last 10 years, if we had cameras in the classrooms, we would have caught a lot of bad things. We also would have saved a lot of teachers and, and been able to see what actually happened. But I do understand that this, it, it feels like a breach of privacy for some people. Even some kids might feel like, I don't want a camera watching me. Like mm-hmm. uh, they don't feel comfortable with it. So I, I don't think that we're going to please everyone by this. I think the parents are going to be for the most part happy that they can make sure their children is safe because that's, that's the goal. I think teachers assume I'm keeping your kids safe. You should trust me with this. And I think there's going to be that back and forth. We're not going to be able to please everyone with this, but if we could, save one person from trauma whether that's the staff member or the child i i think that's uh something that we have to look into and then keeping in mind trying to get to the root of the problem because the surveillance doesn't address the abuse or the staff members needs or the the kids needs really it just catches the abuse so um not a um what's that word i'm trying to think of um i can't think of it now never mind there's a there's a term for when use your speech therapy skills word finding <laughs> describe it when circumlocution um, you're not trying to reprimand someone you're actually just trying to educate them restorative versus oh, yeah. whatever word punitive. that is punitive thank you punitive thank you there you Matt. go see I we got my, there yep. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we're here we got a team <laughs> what would you do speechsciencepodcast.com, speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know, where do you stand on cameras in your classroom? All right, the way we always end the show, we look at what Asha is doing. It's super easy as we pay our dues and get to sign the triple C's behind our name to openly complain or not openly complain about what they do or don't do for us. But here's an opportunity to look at something that they are doing. And I came across this on Twitter, not through an email, not sent to me, but just because of a random tweet. Have y'all checked out the ASHA Solution Center? And this is not, not paid by ASHA, just so y'all no, know. This I, is just a I legit. Had, I only just thing. learned about this and I'm excited about it. So tell us more, Matt. Um, so the only thing that I could kind of think of is that the way it looks is that if you have ever seen those lists that are sent out by your county, of like five-year-old apps that you could use for fluency, but it's an up-to-date website. So for example, uh, if I want to look for apps that range in the $26 to $50 range, and as my website updates, and I want to find apps that serve my high school uh, population, and I want it to be a podcast, let's just say a podcast, it pulls up the informed SLP, the digital SLP and digital SLP membership subscription. Hey, we're not on this. Maybe we should be on this. Just how, do we, how do we get on this? <laughs> I am going to find out. Let's find out how to get us on there. But no, for the, the ASHA Solution Center, I feel like this is kind of a nice little 
new tool that they have not. I like the really filter option mm-hmm. in it. I mean, I think they emailed about it, but that's it. I'll be honest. I, I don't look at all my <laughs> right. Well, I like that it's an auto filter because if I can save one click during the day, that's meaningful to me. That's a win. Yes. (laughs) I ended up finding something that I didn't know I needed. And it was an illuminated tongue depressor with disposable clear plastic blades. Now, not as environmentally friendly as your standard wood depressor, but possibly more convenient. And maybe you get a better view during that oral neck exam. I have a friend that has the illuminated one and she Mm -hmm. loves it. Just so you know, I have another friend who was selling it to me. Yep. Not so, like selling it, not literally like, <laughs> telling me I should get it. I am signing us up right now to be located on the ASHA Solution Center, y'all, just so you know. That's great. <laughs> so that is our ASHA spotlight. All right. So as we wrap this baby up, let us look at what we are doing in the next week that is not work or speech related. And I will go first. Um, the biggest thing on my plate this weekend is on Friday, the 11th, my seniors, all seven of them, uh, it's their senior night for the bowling team. So I'm super excited that some of the kids that I've worked with directly for three or four years, uh, we get to recognize them and their families. Uh, so a big shout out to that. And then, oh, on Sunday, there's this little thing where my Cincinnati Bengals are in the Super Bowl. So <laughs> I was waiting for oops, you to mention right. that's what I'm excited about. What about y'all? Uh, let's go with Michelle. What are you doing this week that you are not work or speech related? Well, I'm not even a big Bengals fan, but I feel like being from Ohio, my goodness, I have to cheer for these Bengals. And I, I have family in Cincinnati, too. And what how many years has it been, Matt? 33 yeah a long time i was three when that happened i think there's there's a lot of people excited about that and in general i think it's just fun to root for an underdog as well so um we'll be watching the super bowl and then also it's doing the texas winter thing where we had our few days of a freeze and then we're back up to 70 degrees today so um getting outside as much as i can and hopefully exploring exploring um some new hiking trails we've made it a family commitment to get um our goal is a hike a week on average Ooh, that's yeah yeah which means we get to explore some more spaces around uh central texas because it gives us some motivation to to get to know our home our home for the next few years nice i like it rachel what are you looking forward to the next time you guys talk to me, I will be done with this series of books. There we go. <laughs> promise you, I will. Be um, downloading, be downloading Livy, right? <laughs> yes, yes. I will update it after I'm done with this book. I will see what happens. I'm not losing my place in this book. I love it. Yeah. And then Marie, what are you looking forward to? Well, you won't find me in front of the TV for the Super Bowl, but I will get all the highlights from my husband. There you go. Um, instead, I'm going to be hosting a Galentine's with three of my dear grad school friends. <laughs> Matt is and chuckling. We've got yes. Parks and Rec, baby. <laughs> Absolutely. <I love> it. <laughs> and um, speaking of reading, I'm hoping that I'm going to start this book. Now, it has made its rounds on social media, so I'm sure a lot of people have heard of it, but it's called Stiff. The Curious Lives of Human Cadavers. So just a little bit of light, um, pleasant reading. Rachel's adding it to her list. There you go. <laughs> hey, speaking of books, we I, I'm ordering a book this week as well to get the off, author on. 
and I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. It was... Well, while you're doing that, I will throw a quick yes, thing out please, there. Jump Do you in. all know the website Thrift Books? Since uh-uh. you are readers. Because if you don't, you need to. Free shipping, $10 and over. If there's any books that you're looking at buying, not from the library that you want you know, your shelf copy of, just check Thrift Books to see if they have it. Because I've gotten so many great children's books off of there. Or I've gotten Christmas gift books because we're all about, you know, gently used books so that we can uh, pass the, pass along the love. But thriftbooks.com. It's not an ad. We're not sponsored. Maybe we should be by them. But <laughs> uh, check it out. The book is Sis, You Got This from Surviving to Thriving as a Minority Speech Language Pathologist by Barbara Fernandez. I've heard of can that. Can you one. Say, that, say that one again? Uh, Barbara Fernandez, uh, the geek SLP, wrote a book called Sis, You Got This From Surviving to Thriving as a Minority in Speech Language Pathology or as a Minority Speech Language Pathologist. Nice. So I'm ordering the book. I'm ordering the book so I could read it so then we can interview her. That would be great. I feel like I should probably know something about the book before interviewing somebody. That would be great. (laughs) I'm going to add it to my list too because I would love to read that. Oh, our opening. Oh, sorry. Before we do all that, jump to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com. From there, you can get a link to the merchandise, link to the Discord, and link to sign up for one year of Therapy Essentials through Presence Learning. That is speechsciencepodcast.com. Our opening music tonight was Please Listen Carefully by Jazar. It's licensed under an attribution and share alike license. Our bump music was the County Fair Rock. Copyright at John Deku. Find his music over at soundcloud.com slash dirt dog music the music under the s the informed slp was at the count by broke for free license under a creative commons attribution license and the closing music is the slow burn by kevin mcleod license under a creative commons attribution license in the immortal words of janice wright always be a willow the oak looks mighty until the storm hits and then it breaks the willow will bend and return to form for New Willows, Marie Severson and Rachel Archambault, and the always here Willows, Michelle Wintering, Michael McLeod, and myself, Matt Hot. Until next week, so long, everybody. Bye. Episode 154 of the Speech Science Podcast is brought to you by Presence Learning. Matt, you know that interstate compact is up and running with a lot of states now. And I've been thinking more and more about that and how great it would be to be able to provide teletherapy between states. Well, with over 10 states part of the interstate compact, that is a lot of future students and future clients that you can work with, Michelle. But how are you going to do it? I mean, you can future-proof your career. You can get teletherapy practice up and running with Presence Learning. Therapy Essentials by Presence Learning provides that opportunity. For more information and to start your free trial, visit PresenceLearning.com and click Our Platform at the top of the homepage. Speech Science is edited and produced by MWH Production. Please follow Speech Science on Twitter at Speech Science PC and like our page on Facebook. And rate and subscribe to our podcast anywhere you get your podcasts.